Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of The Snapshot. We are your hosts. My name is Brendan Patrick, and I'm joined by none other than KM Best. The Snapshot is a Marvel Snap podcast focused on the competitive side of the game. And episode four is all about the concept of turn six decks, cube rate, and a deep dive on our personal strategies when it comes to snapping. Let's get into it. KM, nice to see you again. Nice to have you back with me on this on this beautiful Sunday different day than we usually record how was your week in marvel snap my weeks in marvel snap are switching they they're they're like ups and downs and the ups are when i play something with zabu and darkhawk in it and the downs are when i try anything else but i was able to get somewhere with some non-zabu darkhawk decks this week there is i have more hope for non-Zabu things, non-Surfer things going forward than I previously did. Yeah. Um, so I would say generally I feel better about the metagame this week. I've been able to get some things off the ground that I did not feel last week. Yeah, I actually have it pulled up. Um, if you're watching the visual version of this podcast, your your deck T Rocks, as it was named, um, the mm. Devil Dinosaur deck does have Darkhawk, does have Zabu, but doesn't have Leer at the top end, doesn't have Arrow. I actually picked up this. Oh deck. no! To be clear, I think this deck is the bad guy. Yeah. Oh, I, I was going like, to say I, I picked. I'm up, very happy with it, but yeah, I picked up this deck and I had a lot of success with it. Actually, it does seem yeah very very powerful. Uh, the Devil Dino slots right in um but yeah so outside of the zabu outside of zabu and darkhawk what decks have you been having fun with have you been playing around with thanos at all no i actually just went back to the previous best card in the game uh shuri Mm -hmm. so there's just like several things that just leverage her very well the obvious one is the curve of shuri red skull taskmaster like actually just wins a significant amount of games like you you play it and you're just like wait you know, this loses to so many things, and then nobody plays any of the things that beat it. And you're just like, wait, how did that win every single time? How come every time I do this thing, 30 is just enough? It doesn't feel like it would be enough, but it is every time, somehow, for reasons I can't explain. Yeah. How did your experiment go, by the way, the one we talked about a couple weeks ago where you are playing the sort of uh, the budget-friendly decks? Did those go well? Uh, the more you are loose with the term budget, the better they get. <laughs> um, so if you can include a card like Shuri, it, who is getting downgraded, then yeah, totally. If you can include a card like Bast, who is getting downgraded, then yeah, totally. If you want to be full series three, I think you end up being like, all right, well, can I include Zabu? Does Zabu count? Does that have like budget series three Zabu? That's good. And if you say no to that, then you're suddenly in a position where the best deck you can play is like. Bad, probably (laughs) not bad, but like it probably involves a a significant amount of variance, right? So like, I think the best pure pool three decks are probably the ones that involve cheating out a bunch of big idiots. Mm -hmm. However, however you choose to do that is sort of your call. But I do feel as though like that, that's sort of the best thing that the pool three decks can do into the Zabu decks is just like be lockjaw or whatever. Because at least some of the time you're going to be doing stronger stuff than they are. And that's, yeah. yeah. Like if you try to play a fair game with them, you're going to lose because they have the better cards and they can cheat their mana better than you. So you just can't play a fair game with them. 
That makes sense. Um, last thing to sort of wrap it up. How did Rickety Bridge go for you? Did you enjoy that location? That was a bit of a an infamous I don't location enjoy on any Twitter. Of them. Okay, that well, that one in I, particular. I don't enjoy. Any I hate. I hate it. I, I don't. I think that one in particular was actually fun. Honestly, oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. Uh, it's my big location thing is. Does your location make Leech playable? That's it. If your location makes Leech playable, I hate it. <laughs> and I can count on one hand the amount of times this has happened. Uh, it's it's Lamentus 1, it's the peak, and it is uh, Altar of Death, right? Those are the locations that I disliked the most. Uh, I mean, my least favorite by far has been Lamentus 1. Mm-hmm. I, I despised everything about Lamentus 1. It was the most annoying few days of gameplay I've ever encountered. And as long as your location isn't Lamentus 1, I'm good, basically. Uh, and this, this location, you know, it was kind of annoying, but it let me play Doc Ock, who is one of my favorite cards in the game, and do cool things with Dr. Octopus. I, I, I didn't mind that much. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, there get- were fun things to be doing on, 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 that, on that location. Let's go ahead and get into the news. So on January 17th, um, Shauna was released at Series 5. Shauna is a 4-cost, 2-power card that reads on reveal, add a random 1-cost card to each location. Um, does have clear synergy with Zoo, I guess. This is sort of going to be a recurring, recurring, I guess, little note with any Series 5 cards that get released that we talk about. It's that it is only impacting a very small percentage of the player base at this point, which is unfortunate. Um, Cam, do you have any, aside from that, right, aside from that sort of, uh, that part of it, do you have any thoughts on this card? Do you think that this card is powerful? Are you particularly excited about it? Or is this one of the, the less exciting Series 5 to come? I actually think she's pretty damn good. Mm. I don't know if she's 6,000 tokens I would buy her good. But like when you think about what she does and where she goes, something like, you know, she's very obviously made to work with Kazar. She's very obviously made to work with Zabu. And that actually seems like a pretty solid deck to play. Mm-hmm. Like, is it the best version of that deck? Probably not. But she seems like a lot of the time she just sort of averages out to be like a 4-9 or a 4-10. And over multiple bodies, that's actually like a pretty solid stat line to have. Yeah, she can screw you over, though. And the fact that she can screw you over means that she might not ever see the play she deserves. But I I actually think she's, especially in the context of Zabu Kazar, pretty good. Yeah, I saw I was watching some streams that were playing her and I I did see some powerful things. Occasionally, she would throw throw a hood on one of those lanes, which is pretty funny. But yeah, Yeah, or a blade or a zero. Like there are some there are some things where she's really bad. Yeah, it's a fun card. So we had a uh, we had a couple bundles come out. One being the dino size bundle. The other one is this festival fireworks, the lunar year, which was only five dollars, which is nice. Dino sized. I decided to skip on this one actually. Uh, Cam, I think you bought it. I saw you had the the portrait. yeah, I, it's definitely. I, uh, go ahead. I wanted to actually say one more thing about Shauna because mm-hmm. I read her wrong twice. Okay. So I, I don't think I'm the only person who made this mistake. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm an idiot. Um, this is this is this is the part where I was really dumb, and then there's a part where I was slightly dumb. So the really dumb thing that I read her as is I thought she added stuff for everybody. 
uh, and I was like, oh, this card is awful. She does not do that. But the second thing when I first read her that I got wrong was she adds a card at her location too. She's four cards. Mm-hmm. And I, I like I, I feel like if you haven't seen her played, when you read her, you just sort of assume otherwise because every other card that breathes like her, Squirrel Girl, Doctor Doom, Debris, they, they never they never add cards on their location. But she does. So keep that in mind when you play her. Yeah. Definitely. So for the for the two bundles, I know you, I'm pretty sure you picked up Dino Size. That one's about to get away. Actually, be gone by the time this podcast releases. That seems like one of those ones. If you want the credits and you like the variant, I guess it's worth it. But outside of that, you know, we're a lot of us in terms of value are waiting for collector token bundles. Um, that's pretty much the prerequisite. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there was another. Bi- I guess this is a big announcement. Uh, they announced a card back for for infinite rank. Um, which is actually the card back from the season pass. Uh, the coolest one, in my opinion, the one that has a little claw or whatever, but it's going to be fully gold, which is, which is, is cool. It, here's my question. The picture they showed mm-hmm. had the back, like, I don't know if how many people are aware of this. But when you play your cards face down, you see the rarity of your cards on the card back, Right. And you can use this to see like, oh, well, that's the Widow's Bite that they played over there. If they like play a Widow's Bite in Dark Dimension and has, you know, your card back and your rarity, you know, that's what's going on there. Right. Mm. They showed that gold thing. And I am wondering if they showed it with the uh, golden rarity or if that's just what it looks like always. I would I would guess that that's what it looks like always. Um yeah, I assume this is like basically just like an infinite rank card back. What people have been asking for, right. maybe they they no, but they, like the border, the border is gold, mm-hmm. right? And I'm guessing the border will actually correspond to the rarity of your cards. Interesting. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, because it looked way, it looked awesome with the gold border, but I'm guessing it won't always have the gold border when you play cards face down. Yeah, I'm not sure to be honest, but. I guess we'll see when it comes out. I think most people see this as, uh, you know, they're pretty happy about it. There was a lot of complaining about the lack of a card back at Infinite, at least on Twitter, which which makes sense. I think that people just don't really care about titles at this point. And the card backs do have like a utility case in the case in the sense that you get to organize your cards by them. So they're somewhat, yeah. they're somewhat useful at this point. So all good news uh, on this end. With that, let's head into the the bend and snap, which is our listener question of the week. If you want to have your question read out on the podcast, just comment down below in YouTube, and we'll pick one of the best and get it included in next week's episode. So this is from Rob Knight. Rob says, why did Cam Best said he will wait to spend credits until after the patch? Can't you technically spend credits, but not open the chest until after the patch? I thought the devs confirmed the content is generated on open, not on unlock. I will caveat this by saying that uh, Rob is correct. Currently, the contents are generated on unlock, not when you get them. Um, so you could, he is right, you could you could bank them up. But, but Cam, why do you not do that? Rob, my friends, do you think I, based on everything you know about me, have even the slightest amount of impulse control such that seeing that notification there wouldn't drive me crazy and I would open all the chests immediately. Like, if I if I saved all those chests, it would just be like 16, a little notification thing, sitting in the top of my screen forever. And I cannot deal with that. I refuse to deal with that. I will not do it. 
I can't live like that. I don't know how any like I see screenshots. People are like 200 unread messages. I don't know how you live. I don't know how you I don't know how you wake up in the morning and look at that and be like, oh, whatever. I have an email account that has like a bunch of unread messages in it because it's all spam. But like I do not get 200 plus spam emails to my to my or I, I don't get 200 plus notifications of spam texts or whatever. That's not a thing. I don't know how you people who have like constant nine plus discord notifications live with yourself i mute every discord i'm in because i can't deal with that there's no way the little red number has too much power over my life and i can't introduce another one <laughs> another little red number that i just have to sit there and look at for a decade yeah so yeah so rob you are technically correct it might it is probably strategically advantageous to save your chess if you um have acquired all your pool threes and you w want to wait for the downshift to open them but um yeah we need our weekly dopamine so that's uh, that's just not going to happen over here um let's go <laughs> ahead <laughs> let's head into the main topic am which is which is turn six decks is what we're going to start with um i just want to ask you what are your thoughts on the cube system in regards to how it rewards decks that explode on turn six and I guess I would first off, uh, you know, have to preface that question by saying, do you actually agree with that statement that the cube system in Marvel Snap encourages you to play decks that win on turn six, not quote unquote, right? Because it's a loose, it's a loose way of using it. Win on turn four or turn five, right? I want to surprise the opponent. I mean, more or less, yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, let's talk about some examples of what turn sex decks are, I guess, which is first one I'll pull up here is going to be Sarah Surfer, right? You're playing Sarah on five, usually playing three cards um, on turn six, right? That can be surprising to the opponent, especially when you're buffing cards with things like Silver Surfer, right? They can do the math, but you'll find often that a lot of people don't. There's also decks like Death Wave. So Death Wave is discounting death to a low amount. I mean, maybe playing Wave on five and then dropping both She-Hulk and Death on um, on turn six there. You can have Leader at the top end. Leader is sort of the quintessential uh, turn six surprise card, even though most people should be playing around it. It is, I, I think that single card encapsulates this entire concept. And then also Arrow, right? Arrow is a perfect example of this where you know you're playing arrow on turn six you're winning potentially two lanes and you just drag your whatever your opponent plays to that single losing lane um and they almost have no hope of winning if they're playing a sort of a normal strategy there okay and what are your does that kind of sum up some of the examples for you do you have any thoughts on that on 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 just like decks that they're kind of top meta decks right decks that do explode on that turn six surprise the opponent and get that extra cube because if you do play a deck that wins on maybe turn four turn five you locked out your opponent with let's say spider-man absorbing man like they have a very clear uh sort of notion to leave that game right right so i mean i don't i don't really know what to contribute to that because it's like yeah yes obviously like, yes, uh, winning on turn six is a little better than letting them know they're dead early. That's not to say you should never let them know you're dead early. Like one of the things that Spider-Man Absorbing Man is unique is that it's able to go in a deck and then be like, oh, man, I'm losing this game. OK, what if I wasn't losing this game? Right. That that's that's an interesting like use case for Spider-Man Absorbing Man. Like if you're in a situation where you're like, I'm probably going to lose if if I do anything other than this, you turn that loss into a win. The issue is when you start playing them in games you can win other ways, that's when you start crushing your cube equity, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I do think that this is like a very clear and intended feature of the game. 
it's probably a good thing that it exists. And I, yeah, my answer to like your, 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 your supposition is yes. <laughs> well, the I've, cube a, I've, system a, encourages decks that explode on turn six. Yes. Yeah. I have a ton of questions to sort of drill down into that after this, but I just okay. want to quickly mention uh, some decks that, don't do that, right? So an example of that would be Galactus. Playing Galactus on five kind of gives the opponent a clear signal of what your turn six might look like, and usually not a winnable scenario for them. Patriot can develop the board quite early in terms of putting its buffing cards um, you know, out, and it's pretty clear that they will amass too much power for you to win. Spider-Man's Man, like we talked about, locking out two lanes. Professor X is a great example of this. Leech is my favorite example. Um, you get leeched on turn five, you'll often be leaving unless you top deck the win. Uh, and then, of course, if you're in pool one or pool two, Storm plus Jessica Jones is going to be your best example, right? Locking out a lane and just, uh, just sort of auto-winning one of them on turns three and four. So... Let's talk about this. Turn six and the cube system. Do you think that that limits card design at all, Cam? Do you think that that limits the, like, what what second dinner can do in terms of, like, creating a card in Marvel Snap? Or for a card to be relevant, um, or like a ma- sort of a larger strategy to be relevant, does, does it have to fall under that turn six? I'm getting more cubes from my opponent and stuff like that. Um, like, do you think that's limiting to card design overall? By definition, it is limiting. Mm-hmm. The question is, is that bad? Do you think like, it's bad? By, by definition, any rule that you have in a game is limiting. Like, if you look at Magic the Gathering, the fact that you have 20 life means that you are design constrained to not print a card that is one power, one mana, 20 damage, right? Like, that. by definition, all of these things are limiting. It's why it's, it's why I don't, it bothers me so much when people talk about design space without really understanding, like, you know, Every card ever made in is sort of restrictive to design space in some way. All the rules of all the games are restrictive to design space in some way. There are things that you obviously cannot do based on the fundamental rules of the game. And this, I think, is one of them. Like, yeah, you know, there are you're not printing a card that just says, you know, uh, you can only play this card on turn six. And if you play this card on turn six, you win the game or whatever. Right. Like, you can't. You're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, but like, I, I, I don't think in a practical sense, it's a real limit on what they can make. No. Yeah. Like well, in, in a, in a theoretical sense, there's a limit in a practical sense. I, I, I don't particularly think so. Yeah. What I think is particularly interesting around this concept is if they introduce other game modes into the game, right? So if they, if they create a game mode where snapping and cubes aren't, are less relevant, um, then I wonder if the meta would change as a result to play decks that are less reliant on that turn six. And kind of my direct question off of this for you is, do you think that battle mode will sort of mirror the ladder meta, right? The ladder meta being we're heavy on turn six winning decks, or do you think that the battle mode could go for more consistent decks? I think the thing that intrigues me the most about battle mode, and, and this whole conversation, I think, I'm trying to think of the way, right way to phrase this, there needs to be more recognition that the only way to win eight cubes is if your opponent makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be more discussion of how do I induce them to make a mistake? Like a lot of these turn five, turn six things that you're talking about, like the turn five ones are things that make it very hard for your opponent to reasonably think, oh, I can win this game. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what we're talking about here. Professor X, Galactus, uh, Spider-Man Absorber Man. 
these are cards that it is very hard for your opponent to be like, I got this. You know what I mean? It's very hard for them to be in that spot. But if you can flip that on the person making the turn five play, then suddenly you're in the driver's seat, right? Like yeah. if you can flip that, suddenly you're going to win eight cubes. That's the thing that is so, so dangerous about these strategies. They tell you, I win the game. Yeah. But if you stay in that game and you know what they're going to do, because, you know, like, let's say, I don't know, just the basic example would be uh, they're playing Galactus. They play Galactus, but somehow they have priority. And then you like a rogue there. null. you know, mm -hmm. like things like that will cost the Galactus player eight cubes while they only win two in the other four games they win. Right. Like that's that's the actual downside of, of playing those strategies is that when you say this is what I'm doing, I am snapping it. Your opponent is like, oh, this is what they're doing. I can beat it. Mm -hmm. My favorite example of this is, uh, is actually leech. So like you leech the opponent on turn five and then they top deck leader. Right. And you've you've snapped. Yeah. You've committed to that game and they're like, oh. They got the win. Yep. And it's almost like... Or you leech Silver Surfer, and then they top deck Surfer. And it's like, oh, well, why did I even bother? <laughs> yeah. It, that's why the... Honestly, that's why that those kind of decks in particular feel so bad for me, is that I feel like I really grind for a cube here and there every game, right? I'm consistently winning. I'm getting a cube or so every game. But then I will lose like an eight cube, and it's just like, oh, it just feels so rough. Um so yeah, let's talk about cube rate at that. So cube rate is the net cubes uh, gain divided by the number of games in the sample size. Kind of makes makes simple sense there. I just want to ask you, Kim, because we talked about it on a previous podcast, actually, is do you think playing higher variance cards and lists leads to a higher or lower overall cube rate on ladder? I probably have five minutes in me on this. So just, just wind me up and let me go. Yep. I think it. people assigning inherent cube rate to decks are just absolutely fucking wrong. I do not think cube rate is a function of deck. It is a function of the person playing the deck. It is a function of how well known the deck is. There is nothing inherent about this stuff to these decks. And I, I, I can already hear in my head. Weirdly, I can hear like. I can hear like Jerry Thompson telling me like, well, hold on, there are like some things that are inherent to the deck. But I think I think for the most part, what I'm trying to do is correct a misconception. So there's going to be a couple overstatements here. So just just be aware of that. All right. Um, but so like, feel free to call me on any of them. Make me temper them. Do what you got to do. But. The idea that a certain deck has a higher cube rate, like, yeah, you know, if your opponents don't know what you're doing, that'll give you a higher cube rate. But once they start knowing what you're doing, oh, your cube rate's going down again. Or like, like there are not that there are not things that are inherent to decks that make them have a higher cube rate than another deck. I, I just I just, like it. Mm -hmm. There are, but they're not nearly as profound as we seem to make them. Does that make sense? I think I cube rate is mostly correlated with your opponent doesn't know what you're doing and you're playing something strong. That's it. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the cube rate argument would mostly come from the idea of playing a deck that maybe locks the opponent out on turn five. There should be almost no reason why you're winning eight cubes, right? Because you've 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 literally yeah. put it in a visual example to your opponent of why they can't win this game. It's very hard for them to make a mistake when it's on board, right? It's an on board right. lethal. So, and, and so like for the for stuff like Galactus, yeah, or Spider-Man Absorber Man, sure. 
I buy that you have a lower cube rate than yeah. your win rate otherwise would suggest. But like for basically everything else in the game, it's just your opponent doesn't know what you're doing, yeah. right? And I think like when we talk about cube rate, right? Galactus, Spider Nose Army Man, those are decks that tell you this is what I'm doing. They tell your opponent I'm doing this thing, and so you have no advantage in terms of getting them to stay in games, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, yes, there are decks that, like, have an inherently lower cube rate because they tell everyone, right? But if we were to go back in time and someone plays Galactus on, like, the first day Galactus is released and people don't really know what's going on there, I feel like a lot more people are staying than they are now. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's context. Yeah. Do you, think, um, do you think players are incentivized to play higher variance lists in Marvel Snap overall? No. 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 I think they're incentivized to learn how to snap better. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that goes right into the next question, which is how important is the skill of snapping in Marvel Snap? And how would you break it down, right? If you could break down, if you could segregate the skills of between um, like just raw play skill, like just let's, let's pretend the snapping is playing the game, right? But then also you, you include snapping as like a complete separate skill. Would you say it's 50-50? Is it 70-30? Could you break it down in terms of like how important is actually just knowing how to snap in, in this game? Knowing when to retreat, knowing you know, all that. It's probably the most important thing. Um, but it's not like these are separate. Your play skill informs your knowledge of when to snap and retreat. Like it's not like you it, like people. I feel like people think of it as like a. Like, oh, I'm a 9 out of 10 player with a 3 out of 10 knowing when to snap and retreat. It's like, no, because you're not a 9 out of 10 player then. Mm -hmm. Like, if you were a 9 out of 10 player, you'd be better at the second thing. That's just how it goes, right? Like, you would know, oh, this is the pattern that normally leads me to win, and, like, I lose to XYZ. Because if you're actually a 9 out of 10 player, you know, here's what beats me right here. Here's what I can reasonably expect out of that deck. And this means that I can make a reasonable guess that I'm winning this game, right? Mm -hmm. like that's there these aren't these aren't unrelated skill sets i think they're actually incredibly related skill sets one thing that i notice in my own gameplay is the less i'm familiar with the deck the less confident i am snapping on it the less i know what's going on in the game the less i'm willing to take those risks and that that might be a weakness of my own as a player or i might just be correctly understanding that like hey knowing what my deck does, knowing how it plays into these things is really important in evaluating whether or not I want to raise or double the stakes. Yeah. Do you feel like you as an individual player, do you think you, do you think you are aggressive in terms of when you snap? Um, no. You, no. So you think you're more conservative on the snapping side? A lot of it is because I try new decks. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, like I said, for me, being playing a deck informs knowing when I snap with it. That's pretty much it. I also think there's something to be said for just always snapping on turn one. That's yeah. probably plus EV as long as your win rate is above 50%. So as long as you're playing something safe, there's probably plus EV there. So there is a, there's an aggressive snap theory. I think it's from, I don't know if it originated from uh, them, but life coach, I, I know they snap to, they snap to make the opponent pay to see more cards. So as soon as they perceive yeah. an advantage, they snap so the opponent has to effectively <laughs> add another cube to the pot in order to keep playing the game. Yep. And yeah. I think that's probably strictly correct. I just I, I, I don't know if it's something I want to introduce into my life <laughs> as a streamer, but I suspect it is probably the correct way to play the game. Yeah. What do <clears throat> for you, how 
like when you stay in, if your opponent snaps you on turn one, has no apparent advantage, I'm assuming you always stay in, but what if your opponent snaps you on turn three after playing Zabu and you haven't drawn your own Zabu? They're not, they're not effectively leave. winning. You leave? Oh, yeah. Okay. You kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone I play against is uh, playing the Darkhawk deck. It, yeah. if, if they are snapping me on turn three with a Zabu, I'm out of there. Yeah. Hell yeah. You've got your sometimes own Zabu. I run you into, sometimes I run into educated Collins, and it'll be turn three, and he he hasn't played anything yet, and he'll snap me, and I'll be like, yeah, I'll leave. <laughs> like, I'm not going to stay in there against the Zabu Darkhawk deck when they're representing a Zabu. It's fine. It's one cube. You can have it. I'm not doing it. You, I will, like, that's the pay to make them see play and at some point i'm gonna start getting bluffed on that and then i'll have to reevaluate it probably now that i've said it i have to reevaluate it but like yeah a lot of the time if someone is playing zabu because i see the same people a lot right mm -hmm. and so if i know this person is playing zabu and they're snapping on turn three it's like you know what i i don't think they're an idiot <laughs> i think they're probably correct to snap on turn three i've stayed in those zabu games plenty it probably cost me cubes yeah what do you find is like, do you have any sort of key motives or reoccurring patterns that lead you to losing eight cubes and staying in a game when you shouldn't? No, I probably like my streams are four hours. I probably lose eight cubes once every two streams. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a coward. That's what people don't understand. Uh, but also, like, I think the number one cost of eight, the number one thing that causes me to lose eight cubes is I am playing against a robot that cheats. That yeah. is it. That is actually it. The number one thing that causes me to lose eight cubes is I am playing against one of the robots that cheats. You know what? This is actually a huge level up for people that uh, this it's so it's kind of frustrating how this is just heavy, so heavy domain knowledge i know it's kind of an incorrect way of saying it but cam can you tell people a little bit of the hints of recognizing when okay an opponent is a bot? so let's run through it for me like honestly 90 percent of it is it's a name i don't recognize and they're playing with very set time patterns so the bots will like take a certain amount of time after you play or play on a certain timer so like if you wait 30 seconds maybe they'll play immediately that kind of thing but they have a bunch of just weird cosmetics the way no human being would ever do it like uh there there are some cosmetics that can only be achieved by a bot like the, the actual tell that you are facing a bot is they have an inkified unit with no flare on it or they have a base card that has flare on it right so, like, if they have a non-foil Morbius with Kirby Crackle, that's a bot. A human can't get that. Um, that's, like, the, the only actual tell. But there are a bunch of, like, other ones, right? Like, just sort of how they play. And uh, I don't know if this is... This is not applicable advice to most people, but you can feel it a lot of the time mm -hmm. over the course of six turns. It's not that I'm never wrong. I've been absolutely dead fucking wrong before. But... You can feel it a lot of the time. And yeah. there are also like, you know, right now, I believe they just updated them. So they have new avatars and all of that now. Um, they do their best to keep them hidden or to not make it obvious that you're playing a bot. But generally, 
the number one thing that cost me eight cubes is just being like, this is a bot. I can disrespect it and then being wrong because they cheat. Yeah. And we'll get into that too, because you can't just disrespect bots and gain cubes <laughs> once you rec- if you recognize it early. But the, the number one, the number one tip is definitely the, the variance, right? If they have the Inkify cards with no flare, it's definitely a bot or mm-hmm. if they have base cards with, and you can recognize that early. There's also, there's obviously play pattern things, but I noticed most of the play pattern stuff on later cards. So if I play Doc Ock on a lane, um, they will flood that lane, even if it doesn't make any sense. Uh, oh, things- really? Cause like when I play, when I play Doc Ock on a lane, what they will do is play off the Doc Ock lane to guarantee that the Doc Ock fucks me. <laughs> that's smart. See, I, I, I would think that that's how they should play, but I've always noticed when I play Doc Ock, they will no. not play their turn five. They will flood it with like whatever they can in their hand. You're saying, yeah. why would you play that? No, lane? like, like the, I, I, I actually had the official Marvel snap account, like in my, in my chat. I think it was when I, I like, I played a doc oct and the bot played in such a way that it would pull a Magneto or whatever. It was just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like, they had to watch that. The official Marvel snap Twitch account was in my chat. And I was like, you see that? At Marvel Snap. <laughs> so yeah. there's uh, also some ways you can exploit them, right? When they so I think it's I believe it's like if you go into the last turn, they're winning two lanes. If you snap them, they snap you back or something like that. Yeah, they're getting better about it. Um, the I, th- this is something I'm actually like a little bit worried about is they they kind of know how to retreat now if you boomer snap them, which is like. I, like, I just don't know why they're putting all this effort into making them, like, smarter if, like, just get rid of them. Yeah. Like, just stop trying to make them smarter and just stop making me hew into them ever. Please. Yes. Well, you know, honestly, since we're running, a little, uh, we're going a little fast, I would actually, I'm not, I'm going to go ahead and go on a tangent and ask you this question. Do you think that bots should be removed at infinite? Uh, yes. I think they should be removed at everywhere. Everywhere. I think that they serve a purpose at the lower ranks to give people fast cues and maybe maybe they give people that dopamine of winning it at early ranks. Like I, I understand the function, right? Because if you ever played an old multiplayer game, you've logged on, there's no one to play with, it's it sucks, right? So there there's a function, but I think at the higher ranks, like they are just so universally negative because they do cheat because they just really steal cubes from you sometimes and also because if you know they have updated them so maybe it's harder but if you could recognize it was a bot and you could exploit the play patterns um yeah i mean you could execute uh, exploit a cubers which is just kind of silly the, 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 right like the fact that i have to think about it every game is ridiculous the fact yeah. that i have to be like is this a person or a bot and that impacts how i play against them is ridiculous ridiculous yeah and uh, also i mean this is to even to say nothing of the fact that they cheat like the fact that they cheat just means that like you know sometimes you lose eight cubes where normally you'd win like four right but like losing an eight cube or two a bot is just like it sucks because you never lose you never lose through like something that a human would do you never lose to like a human being play you lose to like uh oh i know i'll play jubilee here it'll pull odin and it'll pull chavez and they just know that that'll happen because they know the outcomes like the way they work, as I understand it, is they see the end state of all of their possible plays and they make the one that does the best thing for them. Right. So they don't necessarily like they don't go into the like the the matrix and be like, I'm going to make this Jubilee pull Odin. Mm-hmm. What they do is they see that if they play the Jubilee, it has the best outcome for them. And so they do it right. 
Yeah. And they just they they do this in such a way that it makes it very clear that like this is a play a human being can or will never make. And it's it's all it's incredibly, incredibly annoying to lose to stuff like that. Yeah. The most egregious example of this actually is with you, Cam, when you were out your MMR was so high that you were outside the reasonable matchmaking bracket of matching other people and you were pretty much stuck matching boss in perpetuity for that entire season. I, what season was it? I was think it you Black can Panther? still do that. I'm fairly certain you can still do that. Um, my understanding is if you want to rush to high ranks, there are two ways to do it. Uh, the first one is you stay in pool one and you'll get only bots forever once your MMR hits a certain point, right? The second one is you play like 24 hours the first day of the season. You get really far ahead of everyone. And then you'll start seeing a bunch of bots that'll boost you up further. Now, as people like what matters is just putting a big gap between you and the other people close to you. And then the, the game will just start throwing bots at you, which will allow you to increase the gap. And that'll work up until about halfway through the season when other people hit infinite and you can't get far enough ahead on the bots. Right. But. If you can escape being matched with humans really early, you can jump out to like, I, I know there's a guy who is like 490 right now. <laughs> it's not even one of the streamers. Like there's a guy who's like 490 or something like that. And he's wow. just playing pots. Yeah, this is pretty still pretty early in the season to be. Wow. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I do hope like, that we, it's obviously it seems like it's obviously a mistake, right? Like they've created a system that doesn't allow for outliers in their in their sort of right. equation. Right. And yeah. the weird thing about matchmaking, as I've experienced it, is it gets wider the higher my rank goes, which mm. seems like the opposite of how it's supposed to work. Right. Mm. Like you would think that at the beginning of the season, when everyone's MMR is closer is when I would see more people, but that's actually not true. At the beginning of the season, I only see like the same five people, the same 10 people. That's who I play. And then as the season goes on, I see more and more and more people. Like I'll have people pop into my stream and be like, I'm rank 85. Why am I playing you? It's like, I don't really know. Why didn't I play you earlier though? Like, why, why am I only seeing you now? I don't understand. I don't know why that is. And it feels it feels very off to me in, in a way that just sort of intuitively you'd think, you know, when everyone gets their MMR squished a little bit, you'd see more people. And mm -hmm. that as I went up the ranks, I'd see less people. But that's not how it works. Yeah. The key thing I don't understand about matchmaking is the server risk matchmaking, because um, like I know that I'm pretty sure at this point I'll never play Dara at, because He's on a different server. I've seen him do his thing where he plays on his alt account and then he queues into you, which you're on my server because we've played. But then I look, I played Human Spider many, many times. And if I go to the in-game event, he's in EMEA. So it's like, I'm super confused about how these... Human Spider is like, the, the, there's your location and then there's the server you're on. There are two different things. So he you're... must be on our server, but his location yes. is EMEA. Yeah, Human so... Spider's in, in, in Eastern Europe. Okay. Or yeah, human spiders in Eastern Europe, but he's on our server. 
Makes sense. Yeah. The, the whole, the whole back end of matchmaking is super bizarre and snap at this point. Um, so we can circle back to our little topic here. And we talked about other snap theories. One being you snap as soon as you have an advantage to force the opponent to pay to see more cards. One of my personal, uh, snap theories and anecdotes is that as I got closer to infinite, um, in the silver surfer season, I actually started retreating, uh, most games where my opponent would snap and was not snapping my opponents because I knew my win rate was around 70%. And, uh, yeah, to close out the last three ranks, I didn't have to sit in two potential losses of four cubers or eight cubers or anything like that. I just needed to grind it up. You don't do up. that anyway? Um, no. So I'll like my, so let's, it was in that, in this example, my risk, my risk, uh, like, what I don't know what you call it, like my risk portfolio, the amount of risk I was willing to open myself up to was like actually zero. So my opponent could snap me. I would have a decent hand, but I was like, I'm out because I know I'm going to win at 70% or something like that. And I can gain one. No, cube. but like, 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 hold on. I want to, I want to, I want to drill down on something here. Mm-hmm. When your opponent snaps you normally, like you should seriously consider leaving. I do consider leaving, but I will often, so it's like, it, what's the cost for you to stay in and see and look at the rest of the cards you'll draw for the game? I think if my opponent snaps me on turn one where they can't really have a right. possible well, if the turn one snap, you're staying in. But if yeah. it's like, you know, if it's like turn four and they're snapping, you should seriously consider leaving. <laughs> like yeah. You should, you should be like, all right, what could possibly cause them to do this? Cause they're probably not an idiot. And why, what exactly do I have like like their snapping is saying I have like a top X percent hand right now for my deck. My hand is doing like a top 10 percent thing that my deck does. That's why I'm snapping right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. like or I mean, it's probably not 10, but like I have a good hand and then you have to be like, all right, what does a good hand from this deck look like? Can I beat a good hand from this deck? And if the answer is no, you fucking leave. Yeah. So the the risk of a snap um, increases linearly as the turns increase, right? As you go from turn three, four, five, six, because the variance is inversely related to that. So the variance is going down, right? Because your opponent has seen more cards, has more cards in their hand, and understands their game plan to win the game better than they would at mm-hmm. turn one. So yeah, I think that turn one, turn two, your opponent snaps you. Like I pay the extra cube to play the rest of the game. Even if I don't have Zabu in my hand, right? I could still draw it. Turn three, it's tough. It's tough in this meta on turn three because if my hand, like let's say I'm playing one of those greedy Zabu decks that is just Zabu and all four costs, something like that, like some of the bigger, like yeah. the big decks, and I don't have Zabu and I know that they're snapping because they do, I'm, I'm, I'm probably leaving because I'm definitely losing that yes. game. Yeah. So you're not probably leaving. You're definitely leaving. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's what I'm trying to get at here is like, like, as of right now, and this is obviously subject to change, people are not bluffing. Yeah, because it doesn't people make any, do it doesn't make any sense to. It doesn't make any sense to, right? Because it's it's super low stakes poker. Everybody stays in, or like people will right. stay in when they can't, when they shouldn't stay in because they just yep. want to see the result. And like like there are there are there are people like there are like two locations that'll make people bluff snap. And by the way, this is also uh, like I talked about making leech playable, but locations that make bluff snaps playable like typically have just been the worst ones. Two locations let you bluff snap. Mm-hmm. Lamentus 1 and the peak. Mm-hmm. And yep. like it's like when that happens, you're just like, ah, why are they snapping on that? You have to give some serious thought to it, which is why people are able to bluff snap on them, right? And yeah, I, I, I think generally, 
hard and fast rule, best way to get better at this game is assume your opponents are not dumbasses. <laughs> like, you're not Red Foreman. Everyone around you is not a dumbass. Respect People your opponents. People snap when they think they're going to win. Yeah. Like, why you should probably, I think, like, on balance, if you left after every snap, you'd probably be cube positive. Probably. <laughs> like, I, I think if you, if every time your opponent snapped, you were just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm out of here. It'd probably be better than whatever you're doing right now if you're not infinite already. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it would probably take you a month. It might take you a month to reach infinite. I feel like it's just gaining like 300 cubes. One, I mean, 300 just games. have some, have some fucking respect. Like, like, when people when when someone plays Wong on turn four and snaps on you and you don't have the ability to beat the Wong nut draw, why are you in the game? Oh, you know no. what I mean? Do you ever bluff snap? Very rarely. Yeah. Very rarely. I, I'm in an awkward position because I'm a streamer, right? Yeah. I uh don't exactly I don't know how common stream sniping is. But it's common enough that I don't want to do it. Mm. I think bluff snapping is usually wrong on ladder. I think that if when battle mode comes around, it might be more of a thing. But right now, I don't think it's correct. Because most people will sit in games that they shouldn't be sitting in. You know, give up the extra cubes that they shouldn't just to play the game out. Um, and you'll find it not going your way most of the time. The difference is, mm -hmm. is like, yeah, peak peak's one of the ones. Like, if, if peak hits and my opponent snaps me, boom, I'm out. <laughs> like, see ya. See ya. Right, that's out. what makes it such an easily bluff snappable location, right? Yeah. Um, you, you have like a half decent peak. You're like, fuck it, whatever. I'll snap it. I do that sometimes. That the, like those are the situations. Like peak lamentous one. I will snap those sometimes. And yeah. like I don't know if it's plus EV or not, but I will do it. Yeah. Um. Let's end on let's end on a fun one, which is emotional snapping and tilt. Do you ever find yourself snapping and staying in games when you shouldn't, as you as you're maybe on a losing streak or tilting a bit? Staying in games where I shouldn't, maybe snapping. No, mm -hmm. uh, like like tilt tilt does influence me, but it mostly influences me towards cowardice rather than uh, rather than over aggressiveness. Yeah, I find yeah I find that um, I just, I've I've experienced this a few times. Not necessarily tilt, but I've experienced a few times where I've really had to grind like the last few ranks of infinite, and then when I hit infinite, I just shoot up like. 770 cubes because I stopped playing like such a such a little well leader. I should also point out that like there's basically no bots past 80 or 90 and then once you hit infinite they're back mm. so it could be that like like a lot of people I see this is totally anecdotal and I'm definitely generalizing from a small sample but a lot of people are like I climbed so easily to 70 and then I and then 80 and then it got really hard and it's like yeah you're not seeing bots anymore <laughs> I see that a lot and it's just like yeah yeah that that's cuz that's cuz you're you're being boosted. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that. I'm boosted, you know? That's just how the game works right now. But like what what bothers me is when people get into like conspiracy theories about like <laughs> oh I go on a streak and then I and then I and then I start losing. It's just like no you you probably play a couple bots in that streak. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you probably you juice probably a, juice a few eight keepers that you shouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, look, you gotta, you gotta deal with that, and not. Uh, this is part of why identifying them is such a an important thing. Because like the reason I always call them out when I'm streaming is because it's like I don't want, I I don't want anyone to look at me beating a bot and think that's representative of the shit I'm playing. Mm -hmm. Like I specifically request that my editor not include any games against bots in any of my YouTube videos. 
I'm not sure how good he is at actually finding them, honestly. Like, it's, it's actually pretty tough to tell now. But, like, I, I really, like, I just do not think a game against a robot is in any way representative of you, your deck, anything, right? Mm -hmm. And until they're not a part of ladder, I have absolutely no idea how we're supposed to parse the signal from the noise here. Yeah, I just wish it wasn't a sub game in the game, and it definitely is. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a big deal. Like it's a huge advantage to be able to recognize bots. Like as soon as you if if you're listening to this and this is the first time you've heard the trick about the variance, it will it's going to change your game. Even if it's an eight cuber every couple days, it's a big deal. Like mm -hmm. recognizing those bots. All right, <clears throat> I'm gonna go ahead and close it out. So to circle back, we talked about turn six decks. Um, it's the thing to do on ladder. That's sort of the cube system does does incentivize you to play decks that explode in your opponent, hide information for as long as possible, and win the game on turn six. We talked about cube rate, a bit of a fallacy, but there are decks that you know do sort of give more information to your opponent than others and incentivize them to leave. Uh, and then we talked about snap theories. So. Yeah, when to stay, when right. to not aggressive, and where yeah, the synopsis that Cam snapping snapping uh snapping ideology is that of a coward. No, I, I just like I want to be clear about this. Not the coward thing. I totally am. <laughs> um, but the a lot of the fundamental things that I say seem to boil down to like, you know, e these you know, how do you get better at snapping? Oh, by being better at the game. It's like that, that's sort of not helpful to people. So what I want to say in it, like, oh, I want to rephrase it in a helpful way, which is to say the best way to understand these skills is to understand that they are not separate. Mm -hmm. Your ability to judge the situation you're in, which is the ability that allows you to make snaps or retreat, is the same thing as your ability to play your own deck well, right? Yeah, so it's not what I'm trying to say is not, you know, get good uh, and that's how you get better at snapping. It's you getting good will by nature make you better at snapping because you'll understand what's happening more. Mm -hmm. Right? Like gain a greater understanding of the game state, what the opponent's possible cards are, what your possible cards are, and you'll be better at snapping. That's just how it goes. Yeah. I think that the the sort of logic sort of pitfall comes in when people come from other card games and they think that they like oh i really enjoy the you know i really enjoy playing marvel snap but uh the key you know the snapping part i'm not too sure about or you know i'm not i'm good at this part i'm good at the the card game part but i'm not good at the the, the snapping part as if it's separate but it's actually the same thing right marvel snap yeah. the entire game is built off the back of the cube system like yeah like, like like it's it's not the same it is the same what <laughs> it's uh you're playing a game of Magic the Gathering and you're like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to win here. You've had that thought. That's when you snap. Uh, Cam, I'm pretty good at Magic. I'm just not so good at the land thing. I'm not so good at drawing yeah, my mana. Like, <laughs> like, like you, you've been it. Like you've been it. You've in other card games, you are able to be like, you know, oh yeah, I'm in a really dominant spot here, or I'm about to be in a really dominant spot here. I'm about to blow this dude out. That's when you snap. That's 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 what it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm about to hit them with my super tech. Yeah. I'm about to blow them out with my uh veil of summer or whatever. <laughs> I'm about to get them. I'm about to hit them with a dive down. It's 2019 and I'm playing mono blue. Uh, like that's 
that's when you snap before you do that thing, right? Like that's that's it. When you're like, I'm about to blow this person out, that's when you snap. Yeah. And I've actually been thinking about this a lot when I've been playing most. I was like, hmm, if Marvel Snap didn't have the cube system, this game would be so frustrating because it is so freaking high variance. You'd be so pissed uh, with some of these <laughs> losses. Like, it's ridiculous. You're like, oh, my God, the Jubilee hits. the Yeah, if I had not. to if I had to fight bots for two cubes all day, I'd probably jump out of a window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. Awesome. So we do have a review uh, this week on the podcast from NCM3680. NCM says, I've been looking for some longer form discussion of competitive Marvel Snap, and this is just what I've been looking for. I have lots to learn. Excited to tune in again. Thanks so much for the, for the nice review, NCM. If you are interested in having your review read out on the podcast, on that next week's podcast, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash the snap or slash snapshot com slash snapshot. Um, it helps us out a ton. Uh, just really helps us get on the map. So we, we appreciate it greatly. There's a video version of this podcast on YouTube if you're not watching it, which is youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. And while you're there, go ahead and hit subscribe to that YouTube channel. Really push. I noticed you posted a short. I did post a short because I was... Um, yeah, I just wanted to test it out. I think that, yeah, shorts shorts are a really interesting thing that's happening on YouTube right now. I think that the YouTube algorithm is actually like favoring them drastically above regular videos and people's you know, people are really addicted to the to the shorts because they're like this dopamine thing. So I threw up one just to just to try it out. I edited out in a little software, but I just want to see if that yeah, I just get a feeler for it. But um yeah, that's at the youtube.com at the underscore snapshot. Cam and I are on Twitter. I'm at Brendan APG. Cam is at Cam Best MS. And Cam, you stream on Twitch every single day at the moment. Where can people find you and when can they find you? Twitch.tv slash Cam Best MS. And they will be able to find me 6 p.m. on weekdays. And then weekends are a little more variable, but generally weekdays, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Weekends tends to be a little earlier in the day so that people who are overseas can catch me at least some of the time. Uh, the 6 to 10 slot tends to be very like America centric. But if I start at like four or three on weekends, I can get some people from like Europe and uh, Asia Pacific who can actually watch me. It's like, you know, 11 or midnight for them, but at least they can do it because it's not three in the morning. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we, we hope you all enjoyed episode four of The Snapshot. And until next time, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.